It's time. It's time for a night together. It's, it's Halloween. It's Halloween, and over here, it's a typical Halloween night. It's at least the kind of weather, the kind of conditions I remember being the backdrop to some of my favorite Halloweens as a child. And, uh, and now taking the little one around and watching her go up to... Well, I walked up with her with, with most of the places that we went to with her cousins to see her get all ready for it. I remember. I just remember the feeling. I remember it, and I see it alive in her, in, in Aurora, and that makes me feel so good. And uh, to see her, you know, skipping up to a, uh, a house and, and, like, being, you know, come on, say, say you know, say, say trick or treat. And she, she's saying it barely above a whisper because she's not, you know, in a couple of years, he'll be trick or treat. But it's now it's just a little bit just nervous doing things for the first time, building it up in your head. And then finally, it's the, you know, it's time to act. Just really, really wonderful to watch. And uh, I'm glad that we're starting tonight at eight o'clock because that was a, a really, a really fine two hours. And uh, and here we are. And we're still going to do our two hours together. 8 o'clock p.m. But if you're listening to this in the uh, in the on-demand hours, which is every day, every year, that follows tonight, then it doesn't matter. You can pretend it's whatever time you want. You can pretend it's later. But for tonight, we're going to be going live from 8 to 10 afterwards on QuiteFrankly.tv, which I hope most of you start watching from there. You just get to sit there and let the whole night continue to play out because after we finish up here with our esteemed guest, return guest, Dr. Albert Taylor, the soul traveler, then uh, we are going to be, we're going to be playing a couple of things for you, making it spooky as hell, really ringing it out tonight because starting tomorrow, it is all Thanksgiving, it is all Christmas, I'm bringing the Christmas tree up from the basement, I don't know when Lauren's going to actually start uh, assembling this thing. Uh, it only comes in three pieces, so you know she, that's you know she said, "Well, are you bringing it up at midnight or tomorrow?" So we'll see. But it, it's just we're ringing it all out tonight. So Halloween, that's going to be on air as a late night Halloween special on Quite Frankly TV, followed by uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, and as it was put to me by Cody on the network end of things, Quite Frankly TV. More spookiness than one can handle. So if you're watching on quitefrankly.tv or on pilled.net, you're going to get the same experience. That is where the network lives, and um, that is where we're going to be uh, really doubling down our presence there going into uh, 2024. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. More on that tomorrow, though. Anyway, ladies and gents, what do we have for you tonight? Well, not that much. I want to really get into this very soon. So uh, let's just go into our grab bag real quick. It's not going to be too crazy. I've got two from Oddity Central over here. And the first one up, did you hear about this? Have you seen this? An 89-year-old man has been trying to divorce his wife for 27 years. Just give it up, buddy. Oh, buddy. Just give it up. It's just not worth it anymore, my friend. To hell with you, it's not. You've always got 100% left. I can hear him saying that. You've always got 100% left. 
Some people's 100% may not be as big as others, but you always have 100% left. An Indian man who has been separated from his wife for nearly 40 years and has been trying to divorce her for 27 has had his request for divorce dismissed by the Supreme Court earlier this month. It's no secret that divorce is taboo subject in India, a country where the legal annulment of marriage is usually only obtained in cases of clear proof of violence or cruelty by one of the spouses. Family and social pressure often force people to remain engaged in unhappy marriages, but even when one of them demands a divorce, it is rarely granted by the courts. These irrefutable facts were recently confirmed once again in a court case that made international news headlines. An 89-year-old retired Air Force officer and qualified doctor who had been trying to divorce his 82-year-old wife, a retired teacher, for almost three decades has once again been denied by India's Supreme Court despite agreeing that their marriage was beyond salvation. My oh my. 89-year-old Nimral Singh Panasar and his wife Parim, uh, Parimjit Kaur Panasar, now 82, married in 1963. And they just can't get away from each other. The husband claims that his wife refused to join him in Madras, instead referring to live with her parents and later in the couple uh, with the couple's son. Despite several attempts to resolve their differences, the marriage fell apart in 1996. That is when Nimral Singh Panasar filed for divorce in 1996, when the Yankees won the World Series almost on a Halloween night, almost. But not quite. Wow. Can you imagine just trying to divorce someone for that long? Well, you don't have to imagine it if you're this guy. Here's another one for you before we get started. Headline, just in time for Halloween, company launches world's first coffin-aged wine. English wine brand 19 Crimes might just have created the world's most sinister red wine. They took 100 bottles of wine, put them in a coffin, and buried them six feet under in a creepy Victorian cemetery. If you're looking for the most appropriate wine to sip on a Halloween night, look no further than 19 Crimes, the latest creation, the world's first coffin-aged wine, according to the Risque Specialized Company. Uh, they took 100 bottles of red wine, put them in an oak casket, and buried them among the dead in London's Tower Hamlet Cemetery. The wine has recently been dug up in presence of a priest to ensure that nothing sinister returned with the red liquor. What, what they gave this an exorcism? But according to exorcist and paranormal expert Ian Lawman, the wine is most likely cursed anyway. Quote, there's no way that I'm trying that wine. There's something sinister about it as it's been resting among the dead six feet underground, Lawman said. Ghosts don't have boundaries. They shapeshift. They travel through walls and glass. They make their presence known in the strangest of ways. I think 19 Crimes should have kept it buried. That is part of the marketing. That is part of the marketing right there. They have just made it so such forbidden, dare I say, fruit. It is now such forbidden, dangerous fruit that has just made the price jump several hundreds of dollars. <laughs> I don't know how much it is. Uh, not only has the company not kept their often uh, aged wine in the ground, but they're offering daredevils brave enough to try samples at select locations around the UK during Halloween weekend. It's unclear whether 19 Crimes plans to sell any of its sinister wine, but I'm pretty sure paranormal enthusiasts would pay big money just to add a bottle 
to their collections. Oh, you you bet. You betcha. So um, if I didn't have so many things to ask Dr. Taylor, and if I didn't have so many great questions that came in from this audience, and also some just ghost stories in general that I want to read from this audience to Dr. Taylor, then I would say I would have to ask a question about that. Ah, maybe I will still ask him a question. Maybe I'll keep this up. I'm going to give him a call in just a little bit. Maybe that's the first thing I'll ask him. You see, you're writing the show with me right now. This is the way it all happens. So uh, I appreciate your, uh, your being here with me on this Halloween night. Hope many of you have been out there doing things with your children or just, you know, giving candy out. I got to give candy out too. Aurora got to be a trick-or-treater and a candy distributor. Once we got to my uh, grandmother's house, my father had decorated the place and he, he made um, he made all of uh When we were growing up and before when we were growing up, the tradition at my father's side of the family on Halloween night was uh, lentils and rice. It's something that would just be cooking lentils, rice, like a tomato sauce, and back then we would just throw we would throw slices of craft macaroni and uh, craft cheese on top so it would melt just a slice of cheese and it melt and you just eat through it and take the cheese you put a, a slice of the cheese at the bottom too so it just became so gooey oh it was great and you have it before you go trick-or-treating so you have something in your stomach that's nice and hot and then you come home and there's still something left in the pot you reheat it and that was going on in my family for a long time lentils and rice I also have uh, footage. I should have brought some Halloween footage. Next year, I'll do some family video for Halloween night. That'll be on a Wednesday night. And uh, you can see you know, the pizza frita. There's a couple other things that were going on. And uh, it was just nice that Aurora, well, Aurora didn't eat any of the lentils and rice. She wouldn't take it. But there was one group of kids that came and actually knocked on the door and did some trick-or-treating. That used to be a super highway, a super highway of trick-or-treating. And there was nothing except for a group of four middle school girls that came by and Aurora came out with me and she said, happy Halloween here, have some candy. Like, it's just crazy how she was just giving it out and they're all trick or treat. And no, oh, she loved, she loved playing host hostess, but, um, still a little bit hesitant going and, and, and doing the trick or treating herself, but she loved it. Little mermaid running around the mermaid princess and away we go okay ladies and gents don't go far don't go very far at all it's gonna be a fun night out of body experiences near death experiences paranormal activity here on a halloween a halloween evening i met him 15 years ago i I was told there was nothing left no reason no uh, conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. (laughs) 
you let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! Welcome, welcome. So, if you don't already know, for those of you who will, after tonight, want to have a little bit more of a background into the conversations that we've had with Dr. Albert Taylor in the past, the last time he was on this show was on good old 420. He was on with us on April 20th, 2023. Before that, uh, it was a, if that was the first time he was on in a couple of years. So he had been on maybe about a year and a half, two years before that, and so good to have him around. I said, I would love to have you back on Halloween. And here we are, because as you know, what do they say about time? It marches on. So uh, Dr. Albert Taylor, he's got a very fascinating backstory and uh, one that we have covered pretty thoroughly over the course of our previous calls. I have left the link to the April 20th episode, the podcast version of it, in the description of this episode. So you can go and listen to that at your leisure and uh, be able to have a little bit more background of what we're talking about here tonight. Um, technically, a very technically gifted man. He was an aeronautical uh, engineer for the space pro work for the space program. Uh, worked on a lot of classified stealth craft, GPS systems for the United States government. Um, we know, uh, well, God knows, what things that he will never be allowed to tell us, including maybe the uh, the true shape of the Earth. Right, guys. But uh, pretty much, just to put it in a nutshell, his backstory, he was dealing with sleep paralysis since he was five years old. And for a while, he just thought that that's the way it was. And, um, but then when he got older, probably around the time that he was working with, uh, you know, in or around NASA, he was having sleep paralysis episodes maybe three times a night. And at that point, he went to neurologists. They gave him a full battery of tests that all came back clear. So in that situation, uh, bared out that there was nothing wrong with him physically. That's when Albert began to investigate because he is an investigator. He is a, uh, a scientist. He wants to figure out a problem. And so he set his sights on figuring out what, figuring out what the problem with his sleep cycles were and what was happening. Why this paralysis? So that's when Albert began to document all of his own sleep experiments, which led him past, eventually led him past the paralysis, uh, and not only into a limitless world of out-of-body experiences, but 
into a state of complete control over the situation finally. And the journal that he kept on all these experiments became the source material for his first book. Here it is right there. That's Soul Traveler, A Guide to Out-of-Body Experiences and the Wonders Beyond. That is Albert Taylor. And that is, uh, and that's really what it's coming down to here. That has been the basis for the first two conversations we had. We did a little bit of a review last time because it had been so long since Albert was uh, was away from the show. But now tonight I have some more questions about out-of-body experiences and NDEs, but would also like to crack open the topic of Dr. Taylor's paranormal paranormal investigations because we haven't done much of that, and it is Halloween, so it feels right. Dr. Taylor, are you there? I'm here. I hope you can hear me. Oh, I can hear you just fine. How's everything been? Uh, it's been very interesting and busy and fun. Fun sounds good. Now, I uh, I, I saw we were, we were doing some work with you over the, uh, I think it was back in April, and you were starting to dabble with different formats of your own YouTube show, and there was other things that were getting cooking with you, and I've been looking forward to this night for, for a while now, so, it, I mean, is there any, any huge updates since April that we don't know about? Um, um, I bought an e-bike. <laughs> oh, that, well, that is big. <laughs> get some exercise. <laughs> Try to get rid of my pandemic belly, you know. Wait a second. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Are, is this one of those bikes that, are, is this a stationary bike? It's, no, it's an electric bike. It has a 100-mile radi- uh, range. So how is that going to get rid of your belly? You're not you're not pedaling well, because you can adjust the, the assist on based on what you want. Oh, so it can give a little bit or none none at all. Okay, and hopefully I'll have the stamina to ride it with hardly any at all. I made sure it was electric so I could make my way home again and not be stranded somewhere out of breath. Got you, got you. I thought that you were trying. <laughs> I was like, wait a second, this doesn't make any sense. You just got a bike with a motor on it. Okay. Yeah, no, it's not like a motorcycle. There is a little bit of work you have to do. Well, you know, the first thing I want to ask you is something that came up in the opening of the show here. I was reading a an odd news article that came out of uh, came out of the UK, and it was a is about a company. It, I guess it's a a winery. A company that launches the world's first coffin-aged wine. And they put all these, I don't know how many, I forgot how many, 100 bottles of red wine. And they put them in an oak casket and they buried them among the dead in London's Tower Hamlet Cemetery. Mm -hmm. And um, there are some people, a paranormal expert, an exorcist, his name is Ian Lawman. Do you know him? No, I don't. Well... Uh, he said he does not care because what they did is when they exhumed after however long they allowed this wine to age underground in the casket, when they exhumed it, they had a priest there to exercise it and to make sure that there was no bad juju with it. Uh, mm. But the exorcist and the paranormal expert over here said, I don't care what kind of uh, men of the cloth you have there to to cleanse this wine. Uh, I am not going to have it. There's something sinister about it being resting among the dead six feet under. Um, he said that uh, ghosts don't have boundaries. They shapeshift. They travel through walls and glass, and they make their presence known in the strangest of ways. And he said that um, that the that the company that made the wine it should have kept it buried. As a as a paranormal investigator yourself, what do you think about that? Is that is that wine you would ever come anywhere near? I don't, I, first of all, I don't drink, but uh, if I were going to serve it to friends or, or something like that, I wouldn't be that worried about it because of the odds. 
uh, of it, some, it being affected or haunted or something like that because I've investigated a lot of cases over the last um, 20 years, something like that. I mean, a lot of cases, more than I, I can count. And not one has been caused by somebody uh, in, imposing a haunt on an object. Usually, not, matter of fact, 100% so far, if there is an object that has some type of paranormal properties to it, the person who was being affected by it had nothing to do with it. It wasn't their will, it wasn't their action, or anything like that that uh, caused the item, objects, whatever, to have some type of, um, you know, haunting or paranormal properties, like I said. So I'd be really doubtful that simply burying it in a graveyard would cause uh, an item to be possessed. Um, also, I would hope that when we die, we have better things to do than more exciting things to do, at least in the autobiography experience I do, than possess a bottle of wine. Okay, so then fair enough there. But what about what about curses? Uh, what, what do you think about cur- that that is somebody or a group that is looking to either impose their uh, impose their will on another person or try to affect the outcome of an event? Uh, whatever the hell uh, you, you want to say about curses and magic and focusing it on people or events. Uh, wh- what about that? If, if there's no way the wine or a very slim chance that the wine could be affected by its surroundings. I um regarding curses I think there if there is such a thing which I haven't really investigated too much um legends and things like that I've done but um I would think that it um curses work better when the individual being cursed believes in it if you don't believe in that I haven't seen any type of situation like that from another individual imposed upon it plus there are other factors that um kind of guide our lives each and every one of us and those are non-physical factors and non-physical consciousness you know other than our own there's a lot going on beyond the body and um that seems to direct um the life experiences that we have rather than each and every one of us an individual that's still alive um we aren't that gifted to be able to do that. So I don't think um, that an individual or a group of individuals um, has enough power over another individual um, to impose some type of bad luck or something like that. But I have seen situations, the mind is very powerful. And I have seen some situations where people do, they believe that uh, something could happen or harm them. And even some tests with, I think uh, I watched some in, some exp- uh, tests where an individual was hypnotized and they were given um, a simple quarter put in the palm of their hand and they were told that the quarter was slowly heating up and eventually that person believed it that was hypnotized and the coin quarter did cause some a ring uh, uh, in their palm. But we also, if we believe in something so much, we can, we have the individual ability to, in some cases, manipulate physical matter, if we, if we believe. I mean, there's been some studies on something called warm forming, which a dear friend of mine uh, used to conduct, and that has to do with, you've probably seen this, with uh, spoon bending yeah. and, and key bending and metal bending and things like that. 
So our mind can affect physical objects, but I wouldn't be concerned about somebody imposing, you know, the the curse of Tutankhamun on on us and and us actually being affected by it unless we really really believed in that. Well, here's the one thing I would say, uh, Albert, is that there's there's probably some people out there would who would beg to beg to differ. And yeah. I and I would say just to play devil's advocate here on Halloween night is that if you if you are able to impose your will on a spoon, the spoon certainly does not believe in you. Uh, the spoon is just is being affected by the will of somebody else. So uh, that that would make me wonder why a, a person or a group of people wouldn't be able to concentrate very hard on making something unfortunate happen to another person in their neighborhood and not be able to make, a, you know, bring some kind of a, a result to fruition. That uh, it, it seems like there could still be a possibility of that. Well, it, you know, I, I'm open to it as far as if it, if it is occurring or if somebody has information, I would please, I please share that with me because in my experience in investigating a, ho a host of uh, uh, paranormal anomalies, um, I've never run into a situation like that. But mm -hmm. if it, I mean, I'm not saying I've done 100%, I know everything about the, the paranormal, but if it's out there, I hope to discover it and investigate it at some point. So I'm open to it, but the probability seems very low since um, I haven't had any any uh, investigations regarding that. Okay. Well, we're going to definitely get back around to that in a little bit because I, um, I, I w that's the one thing in your work that we haven't talked about a lot because the last two calls we've really – I just want to explore the um, – the world and the possibilities outside of of the body and i still have a little bit on that some follow-ups from last time that i couldn't get to and here's one of them you said in the last call that the astral plane is the lowest level you can be at outside of the body when you have an obe um, right. and you said it would be it's a mixture of the physical world and the metaphysical uh, my question to you is how many levels are there and what is the highest that you've ascended uh, the Bible says, in my father's house, there are many mansions. So um, depending on your consciousness, uh, your evolution of spiritual consciousness, I'd say um, infinite at this point. But um, it takes a lot of uh, practice, um, self-awareness, and um, spiritual evolution to get to the point where you can even begin to explore the multi-universe, so to speak. Mm. Um, Robert Monroe, in his books, um, if you're not familiar, Robert Monroe was a pioneer in the out-of-body experience. Um, he also was the founder of the Monroe Institute. He um, talked about um, the different places to go. And just because there's a lot of places out there uh, available or that exist doesn't mean that we have access to it because we haven't evolved to that point where we can do that. Doesn't mean we can't, but it takes uh, a practice. I mean, we're here for a reason. This Earth is not an accident or something like that. We are here on this planet for a reason, and that reason generally is to become better soul consciousness individuals than we are than we were before we got here. So it's supposed to improve upon us, um, and as that. Um, um, as we progress 
to these type of things, then more will be revealed. And in a way, it's kind of a great thing or a good thing, I should say, because you don't want an inexperienced person um, to, to develop a lot of uh, abilities that they could harm someone else or something else or themselves generally. So it, it, it's almost like a, a safety, uh, a governor, like an engine, that it only gets up to the right speed when the individual rider is capable of handling it. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, it's uh, it's really something that you bring up, Robert Monroe, because that was my next question for you, and this is a question that I've been waiting to ask since since April. And I, I want first, I wanted to know if you ever met Robert R- Monroe. I wish I met Lori Monroe, his daughter, mm-hmm. before she passed away too. But I, I, you know, Robert Monroe died, which is kind of weird, in the same week that my book came out. I had really planned on visiting him after it came out, but he passed away um, when I became an author. And the way I personally took it is, a big, I felt like he was passing the baton off to me uh, at that point when he did pass, and. Um, you know, and I'm really grateful for that. Um, but I did reach out to uh, the Monroe Institute, and I was a member of the Voyager for a program for a while. And I do have uh, quite a few Hemisync uh, tapes um, in my personal collection from the Monroe Institute. But um, I did. I've only gotten a chance to meet Lori. She's a she was a wonderful person. His daughter. I got to do a TV a television show with her. Um, so at least I got to touch the Monroe's in some kind of way through his his daughter and and having a friendship with her well I'm sure that with all the time you spent on coast to coast with Art Bell they did they probably uh, knew about you too um, because that was uh, that that was pretty significant the time you spent on that show there was also this uh, once I I did hear this uh, Robert Monroe I listened to him in an old interview that he did once and he spoke about human death and he said that he was talking about human death and the ushering of souls you're talking about robert monroe talking about places you can go well mm-hmm. the place he was talking about with ushering souls who had just departed their bodies and had died on on earth he talked about often this place called the park mm-hmm. um he said it's a place where souls can shake off the trauma of death and decide what they want to do next do you know right. what, do you know what he's talking about um, yeah, I, well, I can only say in my own personal autobiography experiences, I don't, I didn't name it the park, but it, it seemed like, um, a way station kind of, or almost like a bus stop where, um, I, I interacted with some of the conscious, the spirits there and there was a door and it, and it really looked like a, a bus stop to me. Um, but it was non-physical and there was a door that you exit out to transition or catch the bus, so to speak, to your next stop. And I would wanted to venture out that door and my, because we're never alone, um, let's see, I'll just call it my guide, it's a, it's a metaphysical term for it. My guide stopped me from doing that because it seemed to be a point of no return. So I wasn't ready to exit that particular door to board the bus the astral bus or whatever it was, um, and I was uh, told to, that I wasn't ready. So I did have that kind of experience. Um, I think Robert Monroe named it a park, 
uh, because that you couldn't come up with any other name for it. Uh, mm. It'd be very difficult to describe if you couldn't come up with some kind of um, description or English word for what we've seen and experienced. So I have, I, I have a strange feeling that that's what it was, and it definitely was a place where people recovered from whatever happened to them in life and began to realize who they really were and remember who they really were. Robert Monroe says that we don't remember who we are because we become addicted to being human. Mm -hmm. And that and that made a lot of sense to me. But when you're in the spirit form, a lot of things come back to us. Like um, I mentioned in my book that when I first had that kind of expanded consciousness happen to me, I was in the process of practicing leaving the body. And when it hit me, I all of a sudden knew things, remembered things about my past. I mean, distant past, not just Albert Taylor past. I, and I knew things about my future. And the, the thing that really affected me and still affects me to this day is suddenly I knew I was home. So that consciousness that I experienced for that brief period of time is our home consciousness. That's what we remember. That's who we are. And that's how it is when we it, um, pass on. But it may take some kind of recovery time to, to get there. Uh, let me ask you this. What is the difference between, say, a haunted house and that place that you were at? I don't know if that's the astral plane or wherever where you were at the bus stop. It kind of sounds like C.S. Lewis is the great divorce. Um, anybody who was in with our, our book club this year knows that that imagery is very, very familiar to us right now. That's how C.S. Lewis um, described uh, afterwards and choosing where you're going to go, whether you're going to take the trek to purify your soul to go to heaven or if you were going to just get stuck or stay in hell or whatever the hell it was. But when you when you say that, I'm thinking about you going through these these travels and there you have recently departed spirits walking around there's you there you are you're able to see them you're actually you know you're you actually you have interact exactly so what's the difference between a haunted house and the astral plane it seems like there are people who are just exercising their ability to travel outside of their body and there are others who have just been recently departed and are permanently permanently detached from their body is it all just one big mishmash they're all together well hauntings can be broken down into the three different categories not every haunting is the same like the minimal would be some type of anomaly that is like a recording being played and it, it's non-interactive um, my mother, when she was a little girl, she told me about a story of her and her father moving into this house, and then her and her sister, my aunt, moving into this house, and one day they were walking through the house. It was in New Orleans, and if you know New Orleans the houses, they, they have something called a shotgun house, and a shotgun house is a house that you can stand in the front uh, porch and see all the way through the house into the backyard, even though it has different rooms. Well, they were coming from the back to the front, and you have to go through the kitchen. And as they approached the kitchen, they saw this elder lady, elderly lady in a bonnet doing something. She, was, she didn't acknowledge them or anything. She was just, and she was transparent, of course, uh, and she was in the process of doing something, maybe like cooking or something in the kitchen, and it terrified them. And they, they had, they, my mother said she had the, the guts, she grabbed her sister's hand, and they actually ran through the 
paranormal anomaly that they saw the old woman and went out into the front house and the middle of the street, which was like a little island, and they stayed there until my grandfather got home, and they began to describe it to them. Well, later on, uh, my mother decided to do, she was the older sister, she decided to do a little bit of investigating, and she talked to the neighbor next door, and she found out that the description of the old woman that she saw was uh, the exact same description of the woman who used to live in that house who passed away. So that particular haunting was a non-interactive kind of haunting because they, the, the anomaly did not acknowledge my mom and father, my mother and my, her, uh, her, 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 her sister. Now the, the other one is, um, it's like, the thing about it is we as soul travelers, we have more than one body. We have a, an astral body and we have a physical body and we have a soul conscious body. Sometimes when we depart and leave, the astral body stays here. And the astral body can be here and we may be able to record it, but it may not, it may not speak to us or acknowledge it, but it is possible to record it in some kind of, uh, with different devices. Uh, you know, um, I've captured some semi-humanoid shapes in, in photograph and digital uh, media that, that, you know, kind of back that up. Um, the other one is that where we actually have an interactive um, haunting, where, an, <clears throat> excuse me, an interactive haunting is where the anomaly, be it male or female or whatever, actually can acknowledges you, either by looking at you, uh, following you, uh, appearing to you, uh, knocking on the wall, responding to you, or that type of thing. And sometimes with that um, interactive um, haunting, you also can collect something called EVPs, um, electronic voice phenomena. And EVPs can also be uh, non-interactive, yet they can be interactive. So with an interactive EVP and haunting, it's actually, it could answer your questions. I have on my, um, my channel, my YouTube channel, I actually put some um, um, EVPs on there that were interactive, and I explained this in a lot more detail on my channel, where you can actually hear me ask a question, and you hear the no anomaly answer the question. So those are non, I mean, those are interactive uh, hauntings. So it, it just depends. I don't think that is permanent, and I really believe that if that is the soul consciousness interacting with us, that it's not going to last forever, and it's eventually going to go to the park or to the bus, the way station, bus station, like I, I mentioned, and, and move on to the next level. Because, not, like I said before, none of us, not one of us, is alone in this world, even though... Physically, we feel alone, and you could be alone in a room by yourself, but you're not in a room by your spiritual self because there's something else with us. If you're a Catholic, you may call it a guardian angel. If you're metaphysical, you'll call it a guide, or if you don't know anywhere, you'll just call it uh, a ghost or whatever. But we're not alone, and that um, consciousness that's with us, is its sole job is to help us move along the spiritual path and move to the next level of consciousness. You know, in the beginning when we were talking about the wine and you said um, that, that 
there are better things for people to do after they've died than haunt wine or to do things like, you know, to, to, to be to be mischievous or whatever the hell it is. Um, right. But, you know, what are these specters of children doing stuck in drafty old houses, especially ones that seem a little bit more interactive? Or what about the poltergeist situations where there is there is a little bit more interactive there and there is a level of mischief that is going on. It, it seems that there are, I mean, some people would say there is some negative intent from from some of these, um, these, uh, these ha- uh, I don't know, hauntings, presences, whatever you want to say. What, what do you, um, how do you approach those? Well, poltergeist, that's a really strange phenomenon. And I don't, I haven't the data and I really have doubts about it being human. Um, I think of it more as a uncontrolled energy, uh, and it could be kinetic energy, because it you know uh, it doesn't appear. I, I it does, and it it can go into some very negative behavior uh, that I've noticed. I mean, even physical behavior. Where um, I have uh, a few investigations where it was actually attacking the pe- person that was being haunted. But it doesn't mean that it's a spirit or ghost attacking it necessarily, unless you can piece a lot of things together, like an EVP, the video sighting of it, when it does, and it's interactive, and all those things can come together to give you a better idea of what you're dealing with. But when it comes to poltergeist activity, it seems to be out of control psychokinetic energy. I have a, um, I hate to keep mentioning it, but I, I, I want to, um, on my channel, I, I, I investigated a case where a girl, a little girl in Palmdale, California, was being attacked by something. Her mother contacted us, and we drove out there, and um, I started interviewing the people who, the family that lived in the house. And I asked the mother, I said, could you come outside with me so that I can it's a little quieter and I can take your, your statement, your testimony. And while I was taking her testimony, I, oh, also, um, I asked one of my female in, um, investigators to follow the little girl. She's about, I think, 15 years old at the time or something like that, maybe younger, to follow her around and just, you know, make sure that she didn't scratch herself. Because we don't, we never know these things when we show up. Sometimes it might be a mental illness or something else. We, we don't know. Um, so my, my um, investigator was following her around, and I was interviewing the mother outside, and all of a sudden I heard my investigator scream and tell me, come in, you got to come in here, come in here right now. So I go running into the room that they were, and I have a camera in hand, and the girl says, the little girl says, it's burning, it's burning, it's, and she's pointing to her, her back. And she and I and she had on a, um, a, a clothing that we could actually see the area on her back that she was talking about, and I didn't see anything. But within about a minute or so, slowly I saw started seeing appear some scratching, like a red scratch on her back. It was looked like a um, like welt, a reverse end. And I it slowly started appearing on her back, and it rose up and rose up and began to to welt. And eventually it began to bleed right in front of me. I watched it, the whole thing. And that really shocked me because I, 
that was my first time running into some type of poltergeist-like activity that could actually do physical harm to an individual. And by the and this is what was really interesting about it is by the time this particular paranormal attack ceased, the girl, the little girl, had markings almost all over her body in different places, even on her leg and her side. And it wasn't just random scratches. The scratches, the uh, the what it, it the marks that it placed on her side and hip uh, were the reverse of each other. So there was some type of in, uh, intellectual or conscious awareness that I'm going to scratch this symbol, which I don't know why they would do that, into her side, and I'm going to reverse that same symbol and scratch the identical symbol on her thigh. Mm. So, and I think. So that they know this is something beyond just a accidental occurrence. That they actually know there is some type of awareness, consciousness, and I and I want to use the word evil, but I'll say negative, negative um, um, consciousness that is doing this. I think it was to you know, and that really did um, alert me to that says there's something else out there that we don't know about besides ghosts and out-of-body travelers and things like that there's something there that is semi-intelligent that is capable of interacting with the physical world and especially humans and laying marks on them mm -hmm. i thought this was the only occurrence it shocked me it was very interesting we ended up doing a lot more investigation found out uh, we went to the county court um, recorder I found out that there was um, um, an individual who hung, they had a tree in their front yard. That individual hung themselves from that tree in the front yard. And um, also, uh, before the, the family moved into the house, that uh, a little girl was hit, killed in the, front of, in the street in front of the house by a hit-and-run driver. So these were things that added to the possibility that this could be some kind of intelligent conscious energy that was left over from the traumatic experience of the, the hanging and possibly from the little girl being hit outside uh, if there was nothing there of course we'd be wondering but because it just happened to be in front of their house that adds to the possible evidence that it is a paranormal uh situation yeah it just seems like there could be layers there layers there to be sifted through and then again of course there comes the question of intent um, because that's a big question. Intent is the big question. Now, yeah. if you were, why, you know, why why attack a little girl? I, what can she possibly do, or you know, uh, help or hurt the paranormal community? What I didn't understand that. Um, I had other cases where I investigated um, a physical attack that was occurring on a woman who contacted us, and she was blind. Uh, so why would a consciousness negative energy attack a blind woman. Um, I had another one where the individual was attacked and he was being bitten um, with, on his back and we could see the row of teeth marks and, and everything. And first thing, I mean, it, it was shocking, but like I said, we always try to do a sanity check when we do investigations. And the first thing I did was um, I measured the distance from his mouth to the actual teeth marks. There was no way he could have bitten himself unless he had somebody else do it. So 
Um, but it did occur, and uh, he had numerous, numerous bites on him um, to that we could not explain. I don't know why that happens, and I don't, I truly don't believe from all my out-of-body experiences, which is another hat I wear, that it was a astral traveler or a spirit that I have had encounters with, or even the negative, the um, not negative, the paranormal interactive spirits well, that I've come in contact with. I believe it's something else that we just don't understand. But doc, doctor, that, that's that's exactly where I was going to go next. Uh, as you're telling me the story, if you, let's say. Let's say you're given a, a a place to research. Now, he, these are specific situations you're talking about that you have been called in to investigate. But let's right. say that you just take a personal interest in a in a specific location, be it a house, a I don't know, a cemetery, any anything that is haunted that you have taken interest in figuring out uh, or trying to figure out, get a, an understanding of what may be hanging around there. Um, if you were to research one of those locations and later that night, would you ever, if you were to later that night decide you were going to leave your body and travel there, you were going to, like, let's say you set up in a motel sometime soon, you eat all the right stuff, you you prepare yourself for an out-of-body experience, you induce sleep paralysis, you do everything that you have become a pro at doing right there, and then you go and travel to that location in that state of you being separated from your body, but in control and, and and traveling around, would you be able to actually lay your eyes on the entity that was actually stuck there and causing the mischief? I can't say yes because my consciousness and I have never thought about paranormal investigation while in an out-of-body experience. There's too many other amazing things going on. so. I can't say that I would think about a case like that, but I can I can say this with a certain amount of confidence. If I could remember, oh yeah, I want to go to case 97 and see if there's anybody there. If I could remember that while in the Autobi State and it seemed to be important to my soul for some reason, because that, that's the only thing that happens now is, is things that help me to evolve spiritually. Um, and I arrived at the right time and plays, I mean, it's like almost like a needle in a haystack when it comes to investigations. You have to document so many things like, where was the moon at the time? What day of the week? Because these, all of these factors could be part of why it's happening in the, in the first place. Uh, is, was it at 2 o'clock? So if, you're, if the anomaly arrive, uh, happens at 2, 2 a.m. on Wednesdays because of the woman, like the, the guy hung himself in front of the house, and you arrive at 11 to 1 o'clock, you're going to miss it. So you would not necessarily um, arrive at the same time and place that the anomaly occurs um, on a whim. It, that's why it takes investigation to try and narrow it down to see when this is happening, how many times it's happening, and is it an active occurrence. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of timing involved in and that's where investigation comes in. I would, I would have thought, I would have thought that at this point you would, um, you would have tried to use that your ability to do what you do in the uh, outside of your body as a really effective tool in your investigations, even if it's just to be able to be at a location in question and to have a new set of eyes that uh, that can just take a look around and 
potentially because because I remember you talking about your first experiences, your um, which are, which are detailed in your book about really trying to figure out proving this self this stuff to you by visiting your coworker, uh, yeah. taking taking you know so uh, obviously in that in that astral plane where you're you know you're still physical still metaphysical you're around there you had the wherewithal to to go and travel to a friend's house and try to pick up some details there i would think that this would be even easier for you to go to a uh, a haunted location because it would have more professional and uh you know uh, civic purpose you know i i thought about that years ago and i probably would have tried but in the beginning First of all, I wasn't doing paranormal investigation at all. Um, so visiting, and, and this is another thing I, I've discovered, is that when I'm in the out-of-body state, um, the only thing I can remember are people who have um, some kind of emotional impact on me. Somebody that I know, I like I can't, someone can't write me and say, could you come visit me? Because I have no emotional contact with them my friend I did and it even I had to struggle at that time when I did try to visit her because I I got there and I forgot why I arrived there and it took me a while because the brain is not connected to the physical consciousness mm. directly it takes some effort so um, if I you know if I could have if I was that good which I don't think I was that good at doing what I do now in the out-of-body state in the beginning I and had some emotional contact with her in some kind of way. It is possible that I could have done that, but as time goes on, what I've discovered is that my guides kind of have other plans for me, or my guide has other plans for me. And a lot of things that I've, um, I, I say, 60 to 70 percent of the places or that I've gone to, I've been in control. But then there's another percentage that. I'm stopped from doing things like going out of that one door at the bus station that wasn't in the cards. Um, I, uh, I had other situations where it's, it's not about my personality that you're talking to now and his desires. It's about something far beyond uh, Albert Taylor, even something timeless that needs to happen. And it's not being forced on me. It's something that I agreed to before I even came here. So it has a high priority, and it's something that I have to be reminded of from a non-physical helper, so to speak, to keep me on the right track. I believe that's why the metaphysicians call them guides, because they're kind of keeping you on the track. They're not controlling you 100%, but they're guiding you in the direction that you agreed to go in. Hmm. It's a very interesting point about the brain being so far away, the physical brain being so far away from the, the roaming consciousness at that point that it becomes difficult to access those earth-based memories. That's, I didn't even you know, think about that ethereal connection that has to be maintained somehow because it's no longer a physical experience. It's, it's, right. it's hard. You see, it's even hard in a conversational sense to remember those you know, to keep the logic consistent with that, because all we know as we're conducting this radio show right now is just our 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 human experience. Right. And um, and 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 I keep forgetting that you have to strip all that away and try to 
try to uh, think of a scenario where you're you're devoid of that of that grounding. Right. Well, here's something that um, I want to let you think about. Uh, while conducting my experiments, um, I wanted to see where I was in a particular neighborhood. And the best way I thought of, let me look at the street sign and figure out what, what street I'm on. And I think we got disconnected there. Are we still together here? We're here. We're here. Oh, okay. Good. Um, so I looked at the street sign. And Frank, it looked like hieroglyphics. I could, it was English, I'm pretty sure, but it made no sense. It just was symbols and, it, and it was, I couldn't read the street sign. So that's when I realized, oh my God, I need the brain that's lived in this particular lifetime in America that speaks English and that kind of, in order to um, understand the experience that I'm having there. But because it was disconnected and the soul is timeless, this was a drop in the bucket, this language that I was reading that was irrelevant to the soul because it, was, it may not be here a million years from now or, or however long the, my spirit is going to kind of stay here on earth being reincarnated before it moves on to another location, which may not have anything like that. So the spirit's consciousness is far different and far more... Uh, you know, I like what Robin Monroe said. He called them intelligent species, and that is the level that you get to where you're an intelligent species, where the simple things here back on Earth, we realize that they aren't very important, and because most of them are not timeless. They're going to be here for, a sh even the Earth is not timeless. It's going to be here for the uh, uh, a certain duration until the, sun swells to a red giant and swallows up the earth and it will no longer be here but we as conscious souls will be here somewhere out there in the universe when that's all that really matters to uh, um, an evolving spirit or a higher consciousness very interesting i uh, i would love to hold you over to the other side of the intermission for a little bit albert because i have here i have a couple of great questions that have been submitted from the audience i have some other ghost stories that came in from the audience that i'd love to have uh, your thoughts on and if we have any time uh, and you're not getting too tired maybe we can even take one or two calls are you okay with that and my pleasure. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, don't go anywhere. We will be right back with Dr. Albert Taylor, the soul traveler. Okay, Albert, you probably won't hear me respond to you, but when we come back, I'll uh, just, just sit tight, okay? I'm here. Thank you, sir. All right, ladies and gents, we'll be right back. Do you feel blame? Are you mad? Uh, do you feel like wolves go out for friends? Get friends, boots, 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 it's intermission time, folks. Time out to press the like button. Thank you. Ladies and Welcome to intermission. We'll, we'll be right back. Yeah, intermission. 
now entering Quite Frankly. 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 We all support. Quite frankly. Not quite. Quite frankly. Joe Brandon. Quite frankly. In Roma, Italia. Quite frankly. You going on Frank's show tonight? I want to get a Coke. Can I get a Coke? So everybody watch. Quite frankly. With Frank. here on the other side of our of our break i want to just take a really quick second to see what we got coming in with our super chats and we'll we've got dr albert taylor still with us we'll jump right into questions with him um shotzi says great show as always uh can you wish my son mike a happy halloween birthday as i know he's watching tonight uh he turned the big four zero today 40 thanks frank you're the best Happy Halloween birthday, Michael. That's uh, that's amazing. Happy birthday to you. Hope you're having a good one. Stowe Stoob says, Happy Halloween, Frank. Frankly's and Franciscans. And Jay Britt says, Trick or treat. Oh, tonight has been one treat after another, Jay. Thank you so much. And the biggest treat is that we have Dr. Albert Taylor here for the second time this year. I am so happy. Uh, Doctor, are you still there? Yes, I am. And happy Halloween to your daughter also. Oh, thank you so much. She was very, she doesn't know it yet, but she was very appreciative that we were able to put, <laughs> one day I'll say, you know, Dr. Albert Taylor, he allowed me to push this show back a whole hour, and we got that, it was a great time. Um, Halloween is an important day to me. <laughs> it's it. I love soaking it up, and yeah. uh, it's like a, a balloon pops tomorrow, and uh, it's just like, as long as you got everything you needed to get out of it then it's just on to the next thing i have a question here or i have a a couple of stories that have been submitted just for you doctor and here's here's what we have so far this can is I, can i answer a question real quick and then we can go on with that absolutely Something you said yes go you said um and this is kind of non-related about our our planet's really round mm-hmm. well the the way gravity works is uh when you know um it's it's called like a accretion. That's little particles sticking together and growing. We proved that on experiments on the space station. And as it grows larger, these, these dust particles collect and could be all kinds of shapes like we see in our asteroids and things like that in the asteroid belt. But after they get to a 500 uh, miles in diameter, gravity crushes the everything, mountains and every, anything else that's on top of that particular structure into a spherical shape. So anything beyond 500 miles is going to be round because of gravity. So yes, the earth is round. I've had, and that, the reason I'm, I'm answering this is because I, it's not the first time I've had this question asked. So yes, um, that's why Cirrus, the, the moon, the, the um, um, dwarf planet Cirrus, and why Pluto, which is not that big, all our dwarf planets out there, they've grown beyond 500 miles in diameter and the, the gravity has crushed them into a spherical ball well that's not gonna 
that's not going to sway some people, but it's yeah, very. It, I know. <laughs> it, it, it's gonna. It's always interesting to to go into this, and I'd love to. Uh, I love to actually dig into that more too, because you know there, that's the whole other thing. You got so many layers of the onion of your of your uh, your career, uh, doctor. And that's why I say I, I think that once you really get your your production down, your whole. Um, your whole operation down on the internet, uh, you're going to be giving something very unique because you have the paranormal edge that everybody loves paranormal on the internet. You also have the mind sciences edge. Then you also have the applied sciences edge. I mean, you're, you helped develop GPS systems and, and, and stealth aircraft. And of course, you know, uh, space programs. So there's a little bit of controversy, a little bit of intrigue there. You, you know, uh, to, to many, you're just a, you're a fed. You can't be trusted too, too much. So there is a, <laughs> there, there's so much here that you could turn into a, Really, uh, one hell of a production. I can't wait to see what it, be- it becomes uh, in the end. But still, I, uh, I I love I love these conversations. I'd love to talk to you about the actual just hard science uh, subjects one day. Yeah, I would love to do that too because I've had a lot of uh, I've been fortunate and blessed to have worked in a lot of programs, Department of Defense programs, and some NASA programs, um, and some secret dark programs that I haven't been able to talk to, to people about. Uh, about technologies like, you know, even the development of the stealth fighter, the original F-117A, I was in that program. So um, there's a lot of things that I would love to share with people that I can now. And um, it's all, all of it is fascinating to me. And I'm pretty sure it's fascinating to a lot of people out there. Uh, before we get on to the rest of what we had planned for tonight, wh- why, what has changed in, I don't know, maybe maybe the last 10, 15 years even, that you would be able to share something sensitive that would be considered sensitive now that you wouldn't have been able to at any other time has has any kind of NDA lapsed or like what's what's happened declassification with- okay um, like for instance I mentioned the stealth fighter um, I worked on that in the early 70s um, at Skunk Works in Burbank California and we couldn't talk about that even in the slightest bit and it wasn't until Oh, God, I can't even remember, but it felt like a decade or so later that they actually revealed the stealth fighter uh, in, a, in popular mechanics or something like that. And so I could talk about it. I couldn't talk about the technical details of, of the, uh, the radar absorbing material and things like that, but at least I could even talk about it even exists. Same thing with um, a satellite. I worked on Strategic Defense Initiative which is, um, they used to call that the Star Wars program. Um, that was uh, President Reagan's um, brainchild. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing in the, the SDI that I could have spoken about, especially this particular satellite system that I, I was working on. And it wasn't until I saw the actual, as a matter of fact, this, class, this program was so classified, even the acronym was classified. So I couldn't even say the acronym. But it wasn't until I saw it in Popular Mechanics, a picture of it with the name, that I actually could say something. I couldn't say too much beyond what the article said, but at least I could acknowledge that it existed and that I worked on it. So time um, plus declassification uh, allows uh, us people who have sworn to not say anything to be able to talk about it a little bit, and, and but not too much detail and not... And, Hardly any technical detail. Mm. 
Okay, that's going to be a really interesting night. Then I can't wait to talk about that because I still, I'm still beside myself that, um, I mean, the the United States government, especially when you start getting into military and defense contracting, they know everything about everybody that is working for them, and to have you leave their ranks to go and pursue, um, pretty much psychic development on your own. I can't believe that uh, that you weren't you know, recruited for one of our own psychic warfare or, or psychic uh, uh, psychic programs. So that, that that in itself might have been a red flag for me if I were one of your superiors. I was like, he's doing what? Uh, well, my it was my choice to lead the Department of Defense um, because of the spiritual experiences I was having um, that I didn't even know I was having at the time. It changed me. It changed my priorities. It changed what was important. So I, I left the SDI program uh, and immediately transferred over to the space station program. And on the space station, you know, it's it, even though NASA is a government program, we like to think of the space station as being a civilian. Um, it's for the people. Uh, there are no very, very few, if any, military secrets on the space station. That's why we can allow foreign uh, astronauts to come and stay for extended periods of time. Mm-hmm. So it was in my head I decided to leave because I'd, you know, I'd worked on it a long, long time. I, my first, uh, I got my first secret clearance when I was uh, 18 years old in the military. And I was a crew chief on the Lockheed U-2. And from there, um, I immediately left and and when I got out of the military, I went into the, the um, to work on the stealth fighter. So I've been working on classified programs since I was barely, you know, an adult, so to speak. Uh, but I, but I changed. Something changed within me, and I like to think of it as spiritual evolution, where that wasn't as Im- important. And I, it also, matter of fact, it was, it almost repelled me because I didn't want to work on something that could hurt people. Um, I, I was responsible on the B-1 bomber for the rotary launch system uh, in the, the, the weapons bay that could actually deliver nuclear um, cruise missiles. Uh, so I, I got a chance to work on the really nasty stuff, and a part of me inside just couldn't do that anymore. So I decided to change, and that's when I went over to the space station. Very understandable and, and very noble, too. I... Um... And now here we are. So that's that's something. And we're going to be able to get into that. I can't wait to have that conversation because there's a lot there I stand to learn uh, about. So let's get into some of these other things I have. There's the first one for you, Doctor. Hi, Frank. I had a question for your guest tonight that I would love for you to consider asking. When I am dreaming and the dream morphs into a flying dream, is it truly one of uh, it is truly one of the most amazing experiences I've ever I've ever had. Recently I had a dream that started out scary. I was driving my SUV and the car kept accelerating even though I was stepping on the brakes. Even uh, I even put both my feet pushing on the brake as hard as I could but the speed only continued out of control. Then the dream quickly turned and I shot up into the air and I was flying above the treetops. The color was bright and vibrant. I can smell and uh, feel the fresh air on my face. This was an exhilarating feeling, and it felt so real. 
until suddenly the color started to fade from the dream. The treetops literally started turning to black and white, and then I woke up. My question is, do flying dreams or lucid dreams relate to out-of-body experiences? That's my question. Thank you so much, Frank. Love the show. That's from Sheila. Um, is this something that uh, just a very vivid dream uh, that Sheila had, or could this actually could this actually be an out of body experience? That definitely related to out of body experience. Um, the difference between a lucid dream uh, and an out of body experience is awareness. Um, you can snap to uh, or slowly increase your awareness, and and the dream material that you were interacting with will no longer cease to be or will fade away. Or my favorite thing, because I just had a lucid dream last night, which was really awesome and fun, is to change the dream. Uh, uh, so, but, but, if, but if I wanted to, there, and I mentioned in my book, there are ways to transition from being lucid to having an out-of-body experience. They are, not dis they are not separate. They are definitely uh, part of each other. And the only difference is one requires a little bit more conscious awareness. Interesting. Uh, does one require? Does one depend on the other? Like, do you need to induce a lucid dream before you can uh, uh, go and, and have an out of body experience, or can they? Are yeah, do, do do they? Can they be mutually exclusive as far as the process of attaining one or the other? Yes. Even though my life wasn't like that, because I've been having lucid dreams since I was five years old, but I do know people who have out-of-body experiences who've never had lucid dreams. So yes, uh, it is definitely possible to separate the two and for one to happen and the other to, to not, for a person not being able to experience it. You can have lucid dreams all your life and not remember having an out-of-body experience. Mm. Okay, uh, here's another one for you. This is from Old Greg, and Greg says, Frank, I have a question for Dr. Albert Taylor. I attempted some spirit traveling in May this year after doing some research, and I actually felt my bed shake very hard, and I lifted out of my bed. But I freaked out, and I just kept saying, Jesus, help me. I don't want to go, and then floated back down. Is spirit travel for everybody, and how do you know that you're ready for it? That's from Greg. Spirit, well, that's a great question. And the vibration he felt was the transition from the physical body, which vibrates at a low, low rate, lower rate, to the second body, which is the astral form, which vibrates at a higher rate. Uh, so if you become very aware during that transition, you will feel the vibration. You'll feel like the bed is shaking and the room is shaking, and it, but it's really just you. Um, and what was the second part of the question? He said, is it, is it for everybody? Because he freaked out about it and, you know, he... I like he, that part. You know, obviously curious about it, but this is something like for me, uh, that, that's something that I'm curious. I, that's why I love having conversations with people like you. I want to know, I want to, I want to, I, I just want to understand what we're capable of, but what we have been built what capabilities were built with, but it, these are just things that they're so outside of the norm. And right. I, I think it's also so reminiscent of death that all of a sudden you think, Oh man, if I, if I get out of here, I'm not coming back. Or if I get out of here, I'm going to be trapped in some messed up under, you know, uh, uh, upside down world, demonic possessed, you know, fun house of horrors. And, uh, 
I know that's just uh, it's just such an alien experience. So, um, but to answer his question, though, yes, it is for everybody because it's the same state that you were in before you were born, and it's the same state that you're going to be in after you your physical body expires. So you're it's really not it's not a, a strange location or or someplace you go visit. It's really returning to your home consciousness and and where you came from to begin with like when i had i didn't know anything about a kundalini experience when i had that one experience where i realized i was home but that's what that was i was at a my consciousness had gone beyond the five senses and then the data that the five senses were feeding me to my soul consciousness level which is in each one every one of us and i remembered oh that's where i come from not here it's, and that's what goes back to what Robert Monroe said about the reason we can't remember that stuff is because we become addicted to being human. Human is being human is not our natural state and it's not our permanent state. We were something we existed before that that, that we were born and we will exist even after. Your name might not be Albert because that was just created for this particular lifespan. Uh, so you you will have a greater consciousness but albert would just be a fragment of that greater consciousness what do you think because when i when we have these talks um the one thing that never comes up especially when we talk about life after death or what ha what happens in uh uh what happens when we die what's the source of these terrifying negative ndes um you know, because when, especially when you when you speak, and I, I had Dr. Eben Alexander on the show with us not too long ago to talk about his um, his near death experience, and, and while he was in a coma for a week, and and we've dipped into the topic a lot in the last few, you know, I don't know, last six to eight weeks or so, and when people who really do this for a living talk about it. They come from a very, sounds like a very new agey, one world global consciousness kind of a feel where there is no, there is no, con, there's no uh, condemnation. There is no judgment. There's nothing like that. But w where does the, where do the terrifying negative NDEs come from where they feel like they have been, they're being dragged to hell or they're being shown that there are consequences for the way that they've lived a loveless, manipulative, almost evil kind of a life. I mean, w w what can you say about that? It comes, it originates from the, um, the belief system. Um, and as a matter of fact, the belief system has a lot to do with what happens to you when you leave the physical body. Um, even it has a lot to do with fear also. If you're afraid of something, particular something, you could encounter that on the other side. Uh, if you believe, you know, this is what I discovered, because, you know, I was raised a Catholic, you know, so I was raised from the, uh, a Christian, and, and what I was experiencing had very little to do with Christianity, or if nothing at all, and I wanted to know what other people out there are having these experiences that were totally, maybe 180 degrees, away from mine and what I discovered is is that Christians have Christian experiences and see Jesus and things like that but non-Christians don't have those experiences 
They have, uh, if you're a, a Muslim, you may have experience that may be with Muhammad. If you're um, Buddhist, you may have an experience that's with uh, uh, Buddha. But it doesn't mean that 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 is what it is exactly. It's the best way that your consciousness can interpret something that's almost indescribable. You got to put it into some frame so that you can comprehend it because it's vastly beyond what our brains could understand. So simplifying it to something um, that we we already identify with in life is usually uh, how our experiences go until you begin to evolve beyond that and shed those kind of, of uh, limitations and dogmatic beliefs. And that way you become to get what I like to call a uncontaminated um, spiritual out-of-body experience. The thing about this, so... The, so when I think about that now, there's this, there's this almost a challenge where when you meet the end of your life, if you know it's the end, or you just do you have to work extra hard to make sure that you are meeting the end in a very positive, fearless state? Because can is it really that the 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 state that you're in when you cross over at that point and you leave this life is what you are stuck in? at least in the in the in the immediate or what, what what what's that like because i know there's a lot of people who you know even if they are of the the greatest of faith you're taking one leap out of one world into another that is uh that's like there's a lot of probably a lot of terror of the unknown that is that is right there facing you in that moment uh can that terror and that unknown that not knowing really be uh, a detriment to you and your your experience on the other side yes and and you know it's kind of like climbing a staircase um some people aren't meant to get to the fifth or, or sixth step some people in this particular lifetime will be around the first step just getting to understand that something's greater than themselves so not everybody is going to be the same not everybody can work on the same goals but there are a few people who are born who, who uh, have access to higher steps and higher consciousness. And then there's some real, very, very rare individuals who are born like Paramahansa Yogananda and, 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 and people like that who are at a higher level or even like Jesus or, or whatever um, um, master that you believe in. So there's some people who are all at that higher level and their mission is to help others who are struggling to climb the staircase to ascend to where they are. So um, you don't have, you, there's, it's very, you can't just struggle or try to learn a particular belief um, um, path that another individual is following because you may not be on that same step as that individual, but you, the path that you need to follow is to become the best you that you can be. Uh, switching now to a little bit more into the, the paranormal. Well, actually, not, not, not so much. Actually, we're talking more about spiritual here again. Uh, this is an email that just came in this morning, and I can't wait to hear what you think about it. Hi, Frank. While living in Spain and running our own bar with my wife in 2017, my, breast, my best friend, Trevor, decided to fly over to see us from the UK for my birthday with his girlfriend and surprise us. 
We had a great night out on the town, but during our conversations, the more I had to drink, Trevor's energy kept shimmering in and out, equivalent to the Star Trek series Beam Me Up Scotty. I should say that one of my gifts, besides being psychic, is that I see energy as in the aura of a person. And this sort of thing with the flickering had never happened to me before. The following morning around 11 a.m., Trevor's partner phoned me, traumatized, and asked me to get over to the hotel ASAP. Arriving no later than 11.30 a.m. at the hotel, we found out that Trevor had passed away overnight. There was a solitary Spanish doctor there in his apartment who declared him dead, case or cause unknown within an hour he had been put in a body bag and removed from the hotel via the hotel back door obviously after the initial shock me and my wife had spoken about how trevor's energy had flickered in and out all evening and then i realized i was obviously witnessing his body's energy's preparation for the spirit world he was only 52 years old weird but true i thought i'd share this with you and your listeners best wishes Michael from the UK. What do you think about that, Albert? Have you heard anything like that? Uh, that's, a, that's an awesome story. I really like that one. Um, yes, I have. Um, I've even uh, taken some classes in the past on how to see auras. Um, sometimes it's difficult, um, but I was able to see an image uh, like a Carillion type of uh, halo around uh, individuals. So, But the thing is, is that you know, especially uh, after working in the uh, you know science industry for so long, um, what I realize is that our eyes only pick up a small spectrum, visible spectrum of light. Um, there's many, many beyond the range of what we that little small area that we function at, um, like um, you know the 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 web the the, the web the, I can't even think of it. The space telescope that's out there now sees beyond just the visual, visual, visual imagery. It sees beyond that. So sometimes, and our consciousness is capable of doing that also, but sometimes when the consciousness really uh, shares or interacts with the physical, then some individuals are capable of seeing these things beyond the physical. Um, I knew an individual where he felt like it was a curse because he would be walking down the street and then all of a sudden he would start seeing things in the astral plane that traumatized him and, and really affect him. And so he was no longer seeing things that are here, he was seeing things beyond. So it is very capable, uh, I mean, it's very possible for a person to see beyond what the five senses, especially um, the optic nerve is picking up because there are things out there and it's very possible to hear things that are beyond the spectrum of what our hearing can hear. Like, for instance, um, in the room that you're in, in the room that I'm in, I know for a fact that radio waves are bouncing all off the walls in here. And if I had a receiver, I could actually tune in and pick up those, those signals. But without that receiver, I can't tell right now if it is. Mm -hmm. So I know it exists, but my five senses aren't helping me to detect it. So it definitely is possible. I think it's an awesome uh, story that's happened. I, I wish the person would write it down very clearly for someone else that might benefit from that. And um, sometimes when that happens, when we're not prepared for it or we haven't been taught about it, 
it can traumatize us or scare the heck out of us. So these things do happen, and, and primarily they happen because the soul uh, consciousness is really multi-talented, and that means seeing and uh, hearing and feeling things that are beyond the physical. Well, here's a little bit more of that. Hi, Frank. I wanted to share my spooky story. I spent an early childhood in Anaheim. We lived in a house that was wrapped around an atrium. Uh, was always very sensitive kid, felt things that weren't there. So you talk about sensory perception here. Always felt things that weren't there. Anyway, when I was about eight or nine, I was in my room and caught a movement out of the corner of my eye. There was a painting on the wall of a little Mexican boy and a donkey trudging uphill. They were both moving. I shit you not, the little boy turned his head and looked at me and stuck his tongue out. I closed my eyes tight. When I opened them, they were still moving, and I ran and told my mom, and she said it was my imagination, but I still remember it so vividly, and I'm 60 years old, but still, I'm not so sure. I had other weird experiences, that one really sticks out the most, though. Love your show. Never miss it. What, you ever hear of things like that where uh, inanimate objects will will move and, or uh, paintings will come to life? Any kind of creative creative work um, almost takes on a life of its own? Um, not specifically, but, I mean, out of the corner of your eye, yes, I have heard of people who are seeing things. Um, uh, that's why I have on my team... Um, well, I call them uh, intuitives. I don't call them, you know, psychics or whatever, because I, I, I like to use their intuition. And to me, they're like another tool. And sometimes um, I'll send an intuitive into a particular room. Um, like in, like this is a good example, like the case in Palmdale where the little girl was being scratched. Um, the first thing I did is I had uh, some intuitives go in and take notes in different locations that they um uh, found them when they went into the different rooms and whatever they were feeling. Then I had I have them keep that information secret, uh, temporarily, and then come out of the house. And then I sent in uh, investigations investigators with nothing but equipment, you know, different type of measuring equipment, EMF meters, and and things like that. And this in this particular house, which I found was really interesting, is the the intuitives. And the people who went in after the intuitives all centered on this one closet. And I even could move my EMF meter around the closet. And the, EM, the closet was the only place that we were getting EMF spikes. So it, it sure is coincidental that the technology discovered the EMF spikes in this area. Mm. And individuals who were intuitive were able to detect the anomaly in this particular area. So... Um, I, you know, we are capable of doing a lot of interesting things. Um, usually when a person sees an, an, an apparition or some type of anomaly, whatever, and if it's trying to deliver a message or something, that message is not for someone else to interpret. That message is for you. Um, you and I, Frank, could be in the same room, and you could see a vision of a rose over on the wall. And I could see the exact same sem uh, image, like a rose on the wall. And we look at each other, and I go, what did you see? You go, I saw a rose. And I say, and you say, what did you see? And I, I say, I saw a rose. And then now we describe how we were affected by it, and that could be totally different, mm -hmm. two different things. So you could see the rose and remember a pleasant time that you had when you shared the roses with uh, your mother or something like that. 
and I could see the rose and remember when I was in the garden and the thorns uh, pricked me, my fingers, and I bled, and it was an unpleasant thing. So the image that you see of the individual sees that that whatever it's supposed to to convey to them is for them only. That's why I'm not a huge fan of dream books, having someone else interpret your dream, or even that any one image means the same thing, like the rose wouldn't mean the same thing to the two of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I totally get what you're saying there, and I, that, that, that's always been my hang-up of having somebody go and talk to you about your dreams, especially since everything is just really just so first person. Let's just try something new here. I want to merge uh, a call in here. 937, you there? Uh, okay, 937, you're on the uh, the air with Albert Taylor. Do you have a question? Uh, no, not a question. I just had a story about three experiences that I uh, experienced that are all things that y'all have been talking about tonight. Well, give give us one very nutshelled thing that you may want Albert to, uh, to, to comment well, on. It would be a uh, experience I had where I lived next door to a friend of mine. We were remodeling the house, and I had done a lot of work on the house, installed some carpet in there for her. And one night, her daughter and my daughter, when I was a, when my daughter was young, they were spending the night, and they were in the downstairs bathtub. So I went upstairs to use the restroom, and I saw and felt a lady touch me on my shoulder. But I knew that there was no one else upstairs inside the house. But I never mentioned the experience to anyone. So, so I'll, then years years later on the local news, my mother and I saw randomly one day where they dug up the back step going out of that house and found a lady buried under there. And right then I knew that that is what I had experienced when I lived next door to the house. Albert, that sounds a lot like what you were talking about down in, uh, in New Orleans. Right. Well, thank you. Thank you for the call, sir. And there was a huge dresser in the room where I installed carpet that I didn't move because it was one of those old wooden ones from like the seventies where it had a mirror attached to it with woman's clothes inside the dresser. And I just didn't move the dresser because it was such a big room. I didn't need to. And I felt like when I didn't feel worried or scared or afraid when it happened, I just felt like she was reaching out to me for a reason. It was so strange. And then well, Ten that, years later, yeah, and, and to I ha- saw and, where they found someone underneath the house. It was so surreal. When to have to have that validation there on the news, that must have been. Thank you so much for the call. Um, to have that validation there on the news afterwards, uh, Al- Albert. That that uh, that goes a long way in making you feel like, oh, I, I, I wasn't imagining that so, that physical touch, though. Right. Yeah. You know, it's all about. It's not in any one particular thing, it's usually a collection of, of, of things that support the same idea. Um, you know, I, I've seen, and not to, to uh, condemn them or say anything negative about my fellow paranormal um, a, a, uh, investigators out there, but it's important not to jump to conclusions on things like that, but if you have a piece of evidence that you can add to it, it starts shaping what possibly could be occurring, and the fact that 
he had the touch, and then and he felt that it was a feminine touch to begin with, and then they find uh, the uh, the body um, and, and the same property. Those two things together add up to something. By itself, you could say, oh, you just thought you did, or, you know, maybe. But, you know, together, it starts to move into the paranormal category, and that's something really happened. The question I would have is, um, why was the spirit focused on on that? Did they, they were so aware of their body being discarded like that, that it, 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 it stuck with them even beyond the threshold of death, and that they had the ability to contact someone who was still living to remedy that, which is, you know, kind of reminds me of, you know, um, ghosts. And remember when uh, Whoopi Goldberg first ho heard um, Patrick Swayze speak to her, and she went, oh, and he said, you can hear me? You can hear me? Can you imagine being on the other side and no, almost no one that you run into can hear you, and then finally you see someone who the the door has been open or open a little bit in them as far as consciousness, and you reach out and you touch that person and they react to you. Can you imagine the the jubilation and how happy you would be that you're not completely separated from the physical like you thought that you actually can interact with somebody mm. and deliver some kind of message? That would be a joyful experience for the living and the non-living. Yeah, uh, well, for some people, uh, it would be. I, I can see how for the non-living it would be a joyful experience, <laughs> but for the non, for for the living, I I don't know. I, I consider well, he wasn't harmed. It's not like the little girl that was being scratched. So right to me, that's a positive. Okay, well, I, well, listen, I, I would love to take another call. Uh, everybody's calling the other number for some reason. I don't know why. The only number I have displayed right now is nine with the hotline, 914-369-1236. That was a great call that we were, we were able to bring on. I'd like to take one more call because Dr. Albert Taylor has already given us so much of his time, and uh, I would like to uh, spend a little bit more time just um, wrapping things up and, and, uh, and kicking off down the road here so uh while we wait for more callers here's another one for you doctor uh four years old this is from erica i was four years old bedtime and in bed for a while hallway lights were on parents watching tv in bed my grandma grace showed up and told me she would be going away for a while and i would see her but not for a long time we chatted and she told me she was going away for a long time and not to worry and i didn't worry that morning, I went downstairs, I saw my parents drinking coffee, and I asked them, where's grandma? Um, I thought she was really there. You know, my parents were weirded out with me, and then they told me that she had passed the night before. I'll never forget it. So there's a situation, and I've heard quite a few stories like that, where a recently deceased person will come, come by as if they were, you know, plain as day, walking through your front door, to say a little something to someone that they love, and um, and the next day you come to realize that they had already been dead for some time. Yeah, uh, that's something, huh? It's called a parting vision. Um, Dr. Melvin Morris wrote a really fascinating book about that kind of occurrence. Also, Dr. Raymond Moody also did a lot of research and wrote wrote uh, books about that particular occurrence because. It happens quite often. A lot of people will have experiences with someone who recently passed, 
and, uh, and generally when they see them, you may, I mean, like the, the grandmother, she may, uh, in some cases, they, they look um, weathered by their disease or age or whatever, but when they have the parting vision, they look almost radiant and healthy and, and uh, almost alive, if, they're, if you can use that word. Yeah. So that has occurred a lot of times. I highly recommend Melvin Moore, Dr. Melvin Morris's book, Parting Visions, or anything else that you can have out there. I've even had people tell me those stories personally quite a bit, few times. And I think I've uh, even had my own uh, experiences, except it was an Audubon experience with a person that um, I didn't know he had passed, and I had an Audubon experience with him later in the, when I returned to physical and, and actually was, uh, went to his house, and his wife told me that he had passed away. So then I realized, oh, my God, that was a parting vision. So it does happen quite often. Uh, incredible stuff. I, I'd love to get a, uh, hold on a second. I just had a couple of calls come in. They all blinked away. Uh, let me see here. Uh, here we go. Let's take a call. Dead man talking. It's been a long, long time since we heard you call in, but you're on the air right now with Dr. Albert Taylor. What do you got for us? I'm a clinical death experiencer and having had that experience, the, my everyday life consists of well, how do I break through to people and let them know, like in a world that's so chasing after such mundane, petty things, the intensity of that experience. Uh, and, you know, I spend, I, you know, I've spent like most of the days of my life now, you know, trying to reach people on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And I wrote a book, 104,000 words in iambic pentameter to try to just break through line by line, the intensity of the next world, the infinite. And so I feel like that's my life mission to let people know, like, this ain't all there is. And if you're focusing on this. Right. Uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Taylor, uh, with Dead Man Talking here, I forget, it's been a while since he called in, but um, I remember this was a, a, a very, very intense uh, situation, uh, health situation that he, that he was in, and uh, I'm pretty much as uh, that's why he has the nickname he does, Dead Man Talking. He he's come back from the other side. So both of you guys yeah. would have a lot to talk about there. Well, personally, I'm a, a member of the International Association of Near Death Studies, IONS. So I have a lot of friends who have died and come back, so to speak. Um, I think it's admirable that you wrote a book and you wanted to share this with people. And, and I have to say, I've gotten frustrated in the past because I couldn't convey the amazing uh, experiences that I was having, and I really wanted other people to have them, and it didn't always turn out positive, and they didn't always, you know, embrace me on that. Matter, some, matter of fact, some people avoided me and ran away after the fact. But yes, what sir. I real <laughs> it happens. But what I realized is that you and I are planting a seed. We're, we, we plant the seed, we water a little bit with spiritual information, and we walk away. We're not in control of the germination process, we're not in control of the taproot, and we're not in control of as it springs to life and, uh, above the earth and starts to bloom. But we did plant the seed. I had a situation, because I was, um, let's see, where was I? I was at um, uh, McDonnell Douglas um, on the C-17 program. Wow. Um, and I had a secretary, and I, I started having these experiences, and I, started, I shared it with my 
secretary, and she and she stopped speaking to me. I mean, after I left, but she was no longer my secretary. She stopped speaking to me, and I was I was hurt a little bit. I thought, wow, I was just sharing something positive that's happening to me. And it was about a few months later, I saw her coming down the hallway toward me, and I figured, well, she's going to avoid me because she just literally stopped speaking to me. She told me her husband told her to stop speaking to me. But as a few months later, she was walking down the hallway, walking right toward me, and I'm looking away thinking she's going to walk right past me. And she ran up to me and grabbed me and hugged me, and she said, oh, my God, I know what you're talking about now. I had an experience, and it changed my life. So, see, we just planted we we just plant the seed. We can't control it beyond that, but it's really important that we actually we do share that information. And you have done that, you've begun that process with sharing the information in your book. And hang in there and keep planting the seeds. Yeah, we have to. We have, I'm going to send Frank my book. I told him I was going to a while ago. And uh, I'm going to see you out uh, and look into your information and your organization because we have to keep planting these seeds. It's because everybody has, they don't want to face death, but it's going to happen. Yeah. Send them too. I want to read it too. Okay. It makes our lives much more rich to touch our death every day, I think, because life is for the moment. So you got to grab it. Well, dead man talking. Thank you for sharing. Please uh, email me. Email me afterwards so I can I can you know I can hook you guys up as far as mailing addresses go, um, and uh, and so that you guys have uh, another another contact in each other's rolodex there. That'd be awesome. Okay. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. All right. So there you go. Uh, well, let's just do one more, one more call here. Uh, Eight oh eight. We got a call from Hawaii over here. Welcome to the show with Doctor Albert Taylor. You're the last call uh, at, during Albert's uh, segment here, so go right ahead. Hi. Um, this is a. Hold on one second. I got the stream going at the same time. Oh my gosh. Can you hear me well? Yes. Go ahead. Okay. So I wanted to share a story that I had. Um, I'm trying to get the stream off. I'm sorry. Get and and put it in the nicest nutshell you can, sir. Okay, can you hear me? Yes, yes. Give it, give it to us. Uh, give us I'm all. So sorry about that. All, all the big, all the big highlights, and then the conclusion, please. Okay, I had a reoccurring dream about 2007, right after my mom passed away, and I would walk across this parking lot in through these glass doors into a, a lobby down a hallway and I would see this this bed and my mom would be sitting at the end of the bed and she looked radiant and healthy and happy but I couldn't hear what she was saying to me you know I'd say mom you know come home let's let's let's, let's go home and and she would say something but I couldn't see I couldn't hear what she was saying um about 3 months later you know I had this dream quite often and about 3 months later I had it for the last time and and the same thing, walked across the parking lot through the double doors into the, the lobby. It was, you know, it was white. It was blank. There was nothing in it. Went down the hallway to the door, looked down. My mom was there. And she looked at me and said, oh, I'm just waiting for someone. And I was awoken by a phone call. It was my dad calling to tell me that my grandma passed away. And I drove to the hospital and shit, I, I had this weird, um, like a deja vu feeling, and I had realized I was walking across the parking lot, 
in through those double doors down that hallway and that the room that my grandma passed away in was what was i was seeing in my in my in my dream oh a prophetic it was just the most it was so bizarre my mom was a hospice nurse and so she dealt with you know guiding people and their families you know helping them grieve and deal with their family members crossing over and stuff and it, it was just a really weird weird situation weird um you know, Weird I, I, I like to, it, it is that that is a very compelling story there. And I, I know that you just wanted to share it. So let me fashion that into a question for Dr. Taylor. Um, what he's talking about there is a little bit more along the subject line that I wanted to jump into uh, at another time. But might as well just get this out to you now. Precognitive dreams, uh, being in a dream state and yeah, maybe having that that parting you know, you're talking about a, a parting visitation, something like that. But this seems a little bit yeah. more pre precognitive. It's almost like you're you're talking about you're getting a glimpse into the future. Um, what, what can you say about that, uh, Dr. Taylor? I think it's a fascinating story. Um, it reminds me of uh, the park and the bus terminal that I was talking about. I could easily see walking into the term the terminal. And maybe my mother would be there waiting for her mother to come or a relative to come there to greet her. Because one of the things is very common in the, the death, near-death experience is that when people transition, and near-death, of course, is not permanent, but their relatives are waiting for them. They're not alone. Um, sometimes it's a relative that, that died before they were even born. So your mom sitting there waiting for her, she, she knows a lot of things. When you pass over, you're going to know a lot of things that you and I wouldn't be privy to. But um, for her waiting for her, I think that confirms the, all of the things I've heard before. And I think it's amazing. And the fact that you were allowed to be a part of that uh, is even um, more uh, uh, amazing and exciting. So... Um, I, I think um, I, I would I would offer this because it, it something like that is really important to, to share. And I would offer yeah. that please write it down in as much detail as you can remember and keep it. You never know who's going to benefit from that experience that may help them further down the down the, the way who are grieving or thinking that they're they lost a loved one that's permanently gone. And this may open a door to them saying that there's something greater for everybody concerned at the end and that we are all connected spiritually. So please share that with somebody or just at least write it down so it's available. Thank you for the call. Doctor, Ed. I, the, I did I did have a question, Dr. Albert, if, if, if it's all right. Go ahead. Um, have you have you seen that, like, say, mental illnesses or uh, certain diseases, um, degenerative diseases can open up a, a different state where you can see things differently because my mother had dementia yeah and the more the more out of it she got the more she started to see people and see things and one day I came home and she was crying that she's saying something's wrong with my mom you know she, she she's not here anymore and I found out a week later that my grandma had passed away that same day yeah like she could see all that stuff it was so it was such a weird time in my life well, one of the things I've always said um, in my paranormal investigations, uh, investigations, and I say it to my investigators, and I'm not saying this to you about your mom, but I always say this, 
just because she's crazy doesn't mean it's not paranormal. You know, it, you you yeah, could have, I, yeah. yeah, they could it just, you know, yeah, part of it. And that's why it really is important to, to try to investigate what's going on because on the surface, the person may seem to be just mentally disturbed. But imagine if you were okay one day and slowly you start losing a grip on the physical brain started becoming damaged, but the consciousness is not. And then they're trying to work together to under, to interpret what's going on and in their surroundings. And the physical brain is no longer giving the primary input like it does right now between you and I, five senses. And the soul consciousness is now capable of detecting things and sharing that. So now she's, she's not only degrading physically because of Alzheimer's or whatever, but now her spirit self is waking up and starting to share things. So it is very capable, very possible for someone who is have, having mental difficulties to all of a sudden start sharing things like uh, uh, of the paranormal. Um, my, yeah. my uncle passed away uh, at the Veterans Hospital, and I remember walking into his room, and he was suffering from a little bit of dementia, and he was looking over my shoulder at, at something, and, he, and I kept looking over my shoulder to try to figure out what he was looking at, but there was nothing there, and I said, Uncle, what's what's going on? And he said, who is that? And I looked over my shoulder, and there was no one there. And I said, I don't see any. He said, whoever that, he said, that guy right there, he's smiling at me. And I thought, you know, this was long before I even believed mm -hmm. in any of this stuff. And I just thought, okay, well, he's just slowly losing it because he's something, you know, he's ill. But then he passed away, you know, the next day. So whoever that was, even though he had dementia, he was able mm -hmm. to see that relative or whoever that was, maybe it was this guy, guardian angel, whatever you can call it, that was there waiting for him to transition and was going to help him along the path. So just because you're crazy doesn't mean it's not paranormal. Well, thank you so much, for caller. Thank you so much for that. And, you know, uh, Albert, I, I, will, I will say this. Um, one thing that I learned with Dr. Eben Alexander on the show, because he, you know, he, he's a neurosurgeon who had these the NDEs and really had his, uh, you know, his eyes opened up to what was going on on the other side of life. And what he had said to me on, on the show, which I thought was really something else, is that you would think that when you take a hallucinogen or anything like that, that brings you a little bit closer maybe to the other side, that, that kind of strips away layers of what we see here. And uh, what he was saying that your brain does not become more stimulated uh you're not it doesn't come a light when you are getting closer to the other side that actually it's the more that your brain shuts down and the right. less the less cognitive ability you have is when these experiences that some people would consider paranormal to supernatural start becoming more and more prevalent that I, right. I thought that was crazy. That that was that was crazy because you know we think about okay, you, you take some psilocybin or you're you're smoking or whatever the hell it is, and you it, it, because of where your mind goes during your high during your experience, you think that your brain is lighting up like a Christmas tree. But what he was saying is that with less brain activity, that the closer we get to the other side, the closer we get to death, is actually where these experiences come through even more which is why, right. you know, deathbed visions and all that stuff are so prevalent. But um, you've already given us so much time tonight, uh, Doctor. Can you let everybody know 
where they can find your stuff. Your books are all for sale on Amazon, but uh, is there anything that we should be looking out for in the future? And if anybody wanted to contact you or anything like that, is there anything that you have set up? Well, first of all, you can email me from my primitive website at albertaylor.com, or you can uh, visit, and, and especially on the topic of uh, pharmaceuticals and out-of-body experiences and things like that, I've already addressed that in one of the videos on my YouTube channel, um, uh, The Paranormal Spin, and I would recommend people go check that out, and you'll see what I talk about on the different things that can help you achieve an altered state of consciousness because that's what we're talking about. And, um, you know, meditation, things like that, and pharmaceuticals are part of that. So I recommend people go there. And please, uh, you can email me from my website, uh, albertaylor.com, and I really try to answer all my emails. It may take me a little while, but I will definitely get back to you. And feel free to ask me anything uh, about the paranormal because it is my soul's uh, purpose is to assist you further down the road and help you climb that staircase. There you go. Uh, Dr. Albert Taylor, I can't thank you enough for spending uh, Halloween night uh, with me over here and the audience. And I look forward to the next time, uh, po possibly sometime in, uh, in 2024. It would be great to continue on with our serial of conversations here. I look forward to it, Frank. Thank you very much. All right. Have a, have a happy Halloween. And I'll talk to you soon. Okay, you take care. All right, there you go, ladies. Happy Halloween, everybody. Happy Halloween. There he goes. <laughs> there he goes. All right, 9.52. Should I even... I mean, I got to go on a... I'm just going to go on a, a little intermission just because I have some Halloween videos in the intermission. And then when we come back, I'm going to go through all your super chats. And if I bleed over a little bit into, you know, 10, 10, 05, whatever the hell it is, then so be it. But um, I could not cut that one short. And I'm, uh, I'm having a good time here tonight. I don't know about you. I don't know about you, but I feel pretty darn good. Don't go anywhere, BRB. It's intermission time, folks. Time out to press the like button. Thank you. That's not what I'm... Wait a second. Hold on, Frank. We already did an intermission. I am not high. I am not high at all. Maybe I got some break video. Uh, oh, I had some break videos open. Okay, we'll be right back. Just came on cable access and hung out, or what your actual employment was? I come on public access and hang out. I'm on 24 hours a day, they say. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty close. Well, I can assure you, I don't make any money off public access. I can yeah. guarantee you that. Well, you guys have a good one. Hey, appreciate that call. Hello, caller, you on the air? Yes, Alex, how you doing? Pretty good. I was just kind of curious uh, uh, if it's true that uh, the police can uh, have uh, laser, laser uh, or infrared uh, beams, if you if you want to call it, and they can project those into your house to basically... Yeah, the Austin Police Department, uh, last time I heard, has 20 units with infrared. If you have enough of a heat source in your house, it'll it'll pick up the heat source and show a signature. It's called flare. It's, 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 it's infrared or heat signature. And... And uh, we didn't play all of the uh, of the cut from the Lear's uh, from the uh, Lear News Hour, but it says yes, black helicopters um, are being used for surveillance of the public by sheriff's departments and police departments around the country. So that's real, and I'm going to play that tomorrow night from 8:30 uh, on past 10 on my Access Television show. That's actually my show proper, just as an entertainment show. And I'm going to have a tax expert on. So you'll see the Lair News Hour, a short little cut for, for news 
reasons. That'll show you Blair News Hour saying, yeah, here's the black helicopters. The military uh, has sold them to the police departments all over the country. They've got thousands of them. They've got thousands of tanks and armored personnel carriers now. And uh, they don't say, by the way, all these people that have been kooks for 10 years telling you about it, now they're admitting they have black helicopters. It's a fact. It's almost Christmas. It's almost Christmas. Let's go into your super chats and let's get these all done nice and nice. Car Guys New England says, Happy Halloween, Frank. Happy Halloween to you. Jay Britt says, Great show, Frank. Dr. Albert Taylor sure does grease the gears in your imagination. He sure does. Dooku Dan says, Hi, Frank and Dr. Taylor. When I was at elementary school age, I often had dreams I flew past planets, but I would feel like I was too far and couldn't get back. Felt like swimming to the top of a pool. And I would scared. I would get scared and I would throw up just before I would wake up. Jeez. Throw up just before you would wake up. Oh, man. I, I mean, there's sometimes... Yeah, anybody ever get, like, get stuck between that awake and asleep space and then you just get shot back into awake and you almost feel like you're going to throw up is that just me do you just get do you, do you ever get shot back into awake and you like sit straight up and you can swear that you are you are a moment away from throwing up i've run to the bathroom before cuz i thought i was about to hurl like you it was almost like a, so disoriented you don't know what the hell is going on, but there's this nausea that was just so predominant. See, that, that that would be my luck. That would be my luck in my astral travels. I would just puke all over the place every time I tried. <laughs> That's it. Try to astral travel, they said. All right, over on Rumble... Let's see. Over on Rumble, no super chats that I can see. No Rumble rants that I can see, unless they got blanked away. Rumble is very unintelligent when it comes to creating a system for broadcasters to have everything categorized off to the side and be unimpeded by one thing or another. So I hope that I did not miss anybody's rumble rants. If I did, please email me and I will make it up to you. I'll give you a shout out in tomorrow night's show. On pill.net, on quitefrankly.tv, and everything is about to kick off on quitefrankly.tv. You are about to be taken to the brink of Halloween in several time zones. We're just squeezing the last bit of blood from that stone tonight with Halloween, with... Um, with, uh, with Nightmare on Elm Street and whatever else the guys at the network have cooked up for your spooky pleasure. Sean Joe, thank you. Ohio Kimmy, thank you. Joe M says the last two shows were amazing. Hopefully this made it three, Joe. Robert Sarns, Sean Joe, Paulie says the M&Ms are excellent this year. Yeah, I got myself a package of, uh, of peanut M&Ms. I went and picked it up. We, the first people we went to hang out with 
to go and check out were my next door neighbors. Um, good guy. Listens to the show, actually. So I got to say he's a good guy. Uh, and we have, so uh, we went there first and that was Aurora. That was history for Aurora. You know, last year, year before for, you know, one and two, we, we took her around and I don't think last year we really did any trick or treating. She just turned two. She didn't really care this year. She understood a little bit more and it's the first time she's taking her bag up. Just so gorgeous. Just gorgeous, you know, this little, you know, three foot tall princess. Just, you, you see, she's so small still, and you just see her doing something new. But everything is heartbreaking and exhilarating at the same time. You know, because, and I say heartbreaking in the way where you can just see, even when she's excited, she's vulnerable. And she doesn't want to, she, she doesn't know how to assert herself yet. She wants to scream a trick or treat, but she's just so timid and embarrassed to do it. And I just, my heart melts. I just gush all over the place. I leave a puddle wherever I walk. It's just amazing. Like a cute puddle, not pee. I'm not peeing. Thinking, what the hell are you thinking? Just get your head out of the gutter, not peeing all over the place. You said it, Frank. Shut up. I know. I heard you. Put this on me. Anyway, I got some peanut M&Ms for myself. All right. Uh, let's see. I have a little bit more. 914. No, no, no. We're not taking any more calls because we're running out of time here. Running out of time. Thank you to everybody over on pill.net. Cave Toad. Sent over a phone. He said, Cripes. Chai Possum says, Thanks for the great Halloween show. Love, Dr. Taylor. Brewbark says, Please ask Albert. Sorry. I'll write this down. Uh, please ask Albert if he believes that Christ's sacrifice erases our personal karma. Well, I could write that down, and I, and I will. But I, I would have to imagine he's going to answer with something other than yes. I don't think that he's going to throw, uh, you know, toss your faith out the window. But uh, just based on my conversations with him, I think he sees Jesus as a an ascended master, someone who understands the way that the the earth, the, the nature of the soul, and and um, and what what love is as a as a governing force over the universe and that and that his teachings are very valuable for people to to follow him into those ascended levels of consciousness i think that that is um i if i were to put some money on it that is where he was going to be remember he he's his starting point was catholicism christianity and he is here now so i don't think that he would have anything but nice and complimentary things to say about Jesus but I don't know if uh, I don't know if he would go there in agreeing with you he would definitely talk about it but I'll uh, I'll write that down porpoiseful thank you so much thank you for that and uh, cave toad says in a happy all saints day all franklies be safe be prepared and continue to get good with God that is the main goal 
for me getting good with God that would be a absolutely and I, I really appreciate you all hanging out with me tonight it's meant the world and thank you for all the gold pills keep them coming with all of our uh, all of our after hours activity that's about to drop right into your lap and then tomorrow night we have a short show because the band practice that is usually on Tuesday will be tomorrow night but in that short show I have some things that I want to talk about, some announcements about what's coming in November with this show and uh, and the future. Very exciting announcements that I want to bring you in on, and then I'll find something else that we can take calls on and just fill up the hour and have a good time. For now, thank you guys and gals for all of your company. Very, very good company, and I'll see you tomorrow night. Uh, get over to quitefrankly.tv. Kick back, relax, especially if you want to have one last scare of the appropriate spooky season. Because uh, November and December, we're getting thankful. We're getting grateful. And uh, and hopefully uh, joyous. Joyous enough to be able to keep all the craziness outside. Of course. Of course. Let's keep the craziness outside as much as we can. I'll explode from time to time. But that'll just be, you know, just a, a venting. We have to get that out. That's good. Get the poison out so we can get back to being joyous. All right. That's that. Happy Halloween. Good night, my friends, and I'll see you tomorrow. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is film before a live studio audience. And now, our super chatter, starting with Car Guys New England, Jay Britz, Dooku Dan, Shotzi, Stostube, Jay Britz again, and all of our wonderful friends on pill.net, quite frankly.tv. I will see you soon. Get there now. Stay for the entire evening.